episode of the Under the Hood podcast. My name is Michael Carey and I am very excited to finally get this podcast going. It's been months in the making, but it's finally here and I'm very grateful that you're tuning in today. Now, here's something I've wanted to do for a long time and unfortunately, thanks to the ongoing coronavirus epidemic, my schedule has become a little bit more free to get this thing going. Now, this podcast is not meant to be in competition with any other production. In fact, there's a very specific reason why this podcast was created. Sure, we will talk about the sport of NASCAR and what's going on, or as of right now, the lack thereof, but the main point of this podcast is to introduce you to individuals who I feel deserve more recognition for their work and for those who are or have made a name for themselves through their respective forms. Now, if you follow me on Twitter, you may have seen a couple of showcases I've done recently. These are special little projects that I like to do where I will tweet out a concept or an idea and I will have followers submit their ideas or their pieces of work. A previous one I just did was in partnership with Hooters Racing and it was an honor to be able to put it all together. There was over 30 designers that submitted their work for the showcase and the response to it was something beyond my expectations and even Hooters expectations. So a thank you to Hooters and to those who submitted and sent these tweets far and wide. The amount of uh, publicity that these designers got that these photographers got. I mean, it's really been a fantastic thing to say. However, that first showcase I did was honestly just just for fun. I have a lot of friends that are in the NASCAR media industry from designers to uh, photographers, uh, paint scheme artists. So I just wanted to showcase their work. Now, from that first showcase I did, there was an individual in that showcase who is our first guest today. He has done an immaculate amount of work. His resume is extremely impressive. I mean, this guy has done everything from uh, throwback merchandise that you can actually purchase and wear, and even the tractor trailer haulers that you can buy that same merchandise out of at the racetrack for NASCAR. He's done social media graphics. He's even designed trophies for NASCAR. And all this is going on. I guarantee you've seen his work but you just didn't know he was behind it. Hailing from East Carolina University and currently working as a graphic designer for NASCAR in North Carolina, I am very proud to welcome Harris Liu to the show. Harris, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me, man. And that, that intro made me sound really cool. <laughs> uh, my pleasure to please, Harris. Uh, first and foremost, before we get started with this interview, how are you doing down in North Carolina with the uh, coronavirus pandemic? Man, we're we're doing all right. We're uh, we're hunkered in, uh, you know, in the house that my girlfriend and I bought back in November. It's thankfully big enough that you know we have things to do and rooms to go in and, and you know keep ourselves sane. Um, but man, the, the work hasn't slowed down for us at, at NASCAR. Just you know, last week we 
from scratch developed an entire pro invitational iRacing series that, that ended up airing on Fox Sports 1. So, you know, Brandon Williams and, and Scott Warfield coming up with that idea, putting it together, having the drivers rally behind it, and then they needed graphics. And, and my job and, and my boss, Caroline, my coworker, Alex, we all kind of all hands on last week and, and got it all developed and, and put out. So that's one thing that, that hasn't stopped at NASCAR is the graphic creation. And so we're working business as usual. I'm just doing it from my couch. Um, so it's, it's been a, an interesting little uh, week and a half so far, but uh, you know, no complaints here. We're, we're all still churning and burning and, and making cool stuff for the fans. Now, the eSports segment is something we're going to get into a little bit later, but I want to jump back to the beginning of your story. As I said earlier, Harris, you have a very impressive resume. You're cranking out work across multiple NASCAR platforms, including even diving into some eSports work. Uh, Take me back to where you were when you were a child and how your journey into NASCAR began. Man, uh, I... Gonna be cliche, but burst, man. I don't know. And I've always been a fan of motorsports, cars, whatever, anything with an engine. I've kind of loved since I was a kid. Um, my granddad was a farmer. I grew up on the family farm, um, so my first love and obsession was was tractors and farm machinery. Um, and my my grandparents, my grandma tells the stories of me as a kid, like you know, one one and a half, two years old, um, pointing out tractors and stuff as we're going down the road and being able to name them at like two or three um, and, and just being, you know, my granddad being able to point out, you know, this red tractor and it was an international and I'd call it out. Um, and not long after that, that turned into a NASCAR thing. Um, so, you know, I'd be watching NASCAR with my dad and, and he'd point out, you know, a back marker, like say, you know, Morgan Shepard and I'd know who it was or Dave Marcus and I'd know who it was. I'd be able to call it out. Um, and, you know, I've, kind of had a little, you know, as a kid, you have speech impediments here and here and there. And he'd point out Bill Elliott, not always say it with a few too many L's and like Bill or whatever. But uh, I was like two or three and just really enthralled with NASCAR. Um, And my mom worked for Rose's department store um, in the Henderson, North Carolina office. And she worked with the automotive and toy department. So whenever they would get in samples of the racing champions cars, she would always find a way to bring me home one and uh, they would also get sweet passes. So they'd go to the races and the Quaker state suite or the Haviland suite. And they come back with jackets and program covers and, you know, the program cars. And uh, I'd always get those and, and kind of started my diecast collection that way. Um, I've actually still have a sample, probably the coolest one I've ever seen. It's a racing champions from like 1990, 91. And it's got a Davy Allison car with yellow wheels, which was he never ran yellow wheels. And it had the Bobby Allison card in the back because racing champions as a company would just throw a car and a card together, seal it in the package, send it to their retail stores to go, hey, this is what it's going to look like when you put it on the shelf. This is what, you know, the size and everything so that people could plan their retail line. And Mm -hmm. now that, you know, that's something that I look at as a, uh, a career that's something I do in my day to day is look at what it's going to look like on the shelf. It's really cool to have that piece and to know that I've had it since I was a kid and never opened it and never touched it. Um, but that was kind of the the beginning. My mom and dad got me into it. So Harris, I've been following you on social media for some time, and there's two things I've noticed about you: a major Mustang enthusiast and a Dale Earnhardt fan. 
tell me a little bit about how those two became your favorites. My dad's a huge Ford guy. Obviously, I'm a big Ford guy with the cars that I own. Um, but my my Mima was a huge Dale Earnhardt fan, and uh, I, my Mima was basically you know daycare for me as a kid. And I'd go to Mima's house, and uh, she corrupted me a little bit into being an Earnhardt fan. So my dad hated every second of it. But I was a huge Earnhardt fan, but also loved Mark Martin and Ernie Irvin. And uh, just, you know, that era, that kind of 94 to 98, that was my, like, heyday as a kid in NASCAR. Harris, as someone who's followed racing since he was a child, I bet you remember your first race very fondly. Take me through that story about how you got to your first race and what was that experience like for you? My cousin, Elaine, and her husband, Ronnie, worked at Revlon, um, the cosmetic company in Oxford. It's one of the biggest businesses in my hometown of Oxford. Um, And they used to do a a group buy every year and take a tour bus down to Charlotte for the All-Star Race. And uh, they had some extra tickets in 97, and I got the chance to go to my first race. And uh, we headed on down Highway 85 in the charter bus. And, you know, I showed up, go to Charlotte Motor Speedway. At this point, it's probably the biggest thing I've ever seen in my life was the speedway itself. And um, my my dad tells the story of us standing in line at the uh, GM tent that had the Earnhardt car in it. And Mm -hmm. uh, it's the one that they still have at the RCR Museum today with with the door that opens that people can get in and take pictures. My dad's standing there in an Ernie Irvin T-shirt, and I've got a Mark Martin hat on. <laughs> he turns around to the guy behind him and goes, you know you love your kid when you're a Ford guy and you're about to pay for him to take a picture in an Earnhardt car. <laughs> so I've still got that picture to this day. It sits on my desk, and it's kind of like a reminder of, like, you know, that was that was the moment that solidified in my mind was being at that racetrack. And so many iconic things happened during that race. That was the T-Rex race with Jeff Gordon with the car that they asked him not to bring back. Earnhardt was driving the orange Wheaties car that Sam Bass designed. And Daryl Walter was driving his completely chrome car. And I'll never forget standing at the fence on the front stretch. Our tickets were, like, right behind the flag stand almost. And watching Daryl Walter walk out with the car in a chrome fire suit, like – he he had, it was he didn't wear it in the race because it wasn't race approved, but it was like one of those flame retardant like hazmat kind of suits that was just fully silver. You know, I was thinking when you brought up Daryl Waltrip's fire suit, I never recall ever seeing that chrome style suit. But I guess it makes sense if NASCAR didn't let him uh, wear that suit during the race. Yeah, the the only time it showed up, I think, was at that race. It was his final season, his final all-star race as his, you know, driver owner. Of course, he came back later for DEI um, and drove the 66 Kmart car. Let's move on to the other half, and that is your graphic design and your artwork. Where did your love for art begin? I'd always been into art. I've been drawing cars since I could put a crayon to a piece of construction paper. Um, but getting the program cover from that first race I talked about was what really let me know that being an artist in racing is can be a real job because <laughs> Sam Bass made this program cover and he designed these cars that I'm looking at and he did all this stuff 
and he made a career out of it. And he was the first officially licensed NASCAR artist. And that was kind of the the moment that I realized, hey, you know, this doodling that I'm getting in trouble for in, in math class could be a career. <laughs> like, you know, all these car drawings that my teachers were taking and throwing away, like, someday maybe I could get paid to do those and, you know, not just be ignoring how to do my times tables. All through high school, I took art classes. I got into drawing. I was really into drawing cars. Um, my art teacher was a ECU alumni. She uh, kind of told me, hey, like, look at this program here at East Carolina, the graphic design program. And, uh, you know, you should consider this. This this would be a good path for you. Um, and I went and toured the school, absolutely loved it. Um, just fell in love with the campus. And uh, when I went for open house, I hadn't got my acceptance letter yet. And uh, was touring, you know, met my future professors, had no idea whether what my future plan was. And uh, just fell in love with the place. And as soon as I got home, I opened the mailbox, and my acceptance letter was in the mailbox. It had come while I'd been at, at uh, open house. Wow. Talk about serendipity, man. That That is some convenient timing for you. It was very convenient. It was kind of the sign, like, yep, you know, this is it. You know, no, nothing else. Like, that's, this is the one. The thing I loved about the East Carolina program is it started you with a – the full first year was off the computer. Um, at this point, I had kind of gotten into Photoshop a bit. My granddad, uh, my granddaddy Lou actually got me into Photoshop because uh, he was a digital photographer and a photographer and uh, taught local uh, photography at the, uh, the community college in my hometown. And uh, I got my first copy of Photoshop at age 14. And uh, he would uh, make a little money on the side by selling copies of Photoshop. The savage that is Granddaddy Lou with his side hustle. How about that? With the, uh, with the serial numbers on the disc. So, you know, not the most uh, kosher way to give his students the tools they needed to succeed, but uh, he, uh, he gave me a copy, and that's kind of what kick-started it all. It was like Photoshop Element 8 way back. This was like 2007, and uh, kind of like from there, I just learned Photoshop, and then when I got to college, I went full in on just, you know, hands-on art. It's where I learned a lot of fundamental skills that have gone into everything that I do today, like how to how to view your subject, how to see the, the lines and the edges and the shadows and the highlights. And then East Carolina did a very good job of putting the theory behind it um, and kind of getting you to think before you ever make a brush stroke or, or a, a pencil stroke. And um, those first two semesters were crucial. And the second year, you got into your concentration, um, which was graphic design for me. But I was also taking digital illustration and regular illustration. And I took a ceramics class and um, screen printing. So in this whole time, I was also still working with my buddy Kenny. Kenny started racing. He raced go-karts. He won a few world karting championships. And um, by the time we were 14, you know, I was playing football. And he moved up into a late model and uh, got a waiver to, to run a late model before, you know, he had a even had a learner's permit. And uh, he became the youngest winner at Orange County Speedway at the time. And uh, actually turned my senior uh, design show project into – redesigning his uh, 2013 
late model stock car for uh, the big Martinsville late model race. We took his, you know, the standard late model stock car Chevrolet body and uh, wanted to do something different with it. And uh, the C7 Corvette had just come out at this time. And looking at it, my buddy loved Corvette. Huge, you know, the, a red Corvette is his dream car, uh, which he's always had red cars growing up. He's always been a Chevrolet guy. And, and you know, getting a Ford guy to work on him with it. <laughs> he had to twist my arm a little bit, but I always jumped at the chance to help him with everything. How about that? The Ford Mustang guy is going to design a Chevy Corvette late model. There's a severe violation in there. <laughs> definitely, uh, definitely a couple of, of interesting kinks in that story. But uh, I was a big, big reader of Jalopnik. I always had this. Um, and they had done all the spy shots at this point. They had really hyped it up and kind of almost leaked it with their reveal. So when it finally did reveal, it was a huge thing for that C7 Corvette. We found good pictures. Luckily, a photographer had taken nice close-ups of the headlights and taillights and the rear uh, fascia with the quad exhaust um, and had really given us everything we needed to, to make the, the decal set. And uh, we set off and, and I made, you know, my first late model stock car template to put the paint scheme on and uh, did the headlights, taillights, and I kind of condensed the rear uh, fascia where the quad exhaust was to fit the rectangular flat spot on the rear bumper of the late model stock. So the car had Stingray headlights, it had Stingray taillights, it had the Stingray badges on the seat pillar, it had the uh, side fake side scoops where the contingencies were, and then we put the fake quad exhaust on the back. Uh, this was right around the time the Gen 6 was coming out too. So the Chevy SS had just been debuted with the fake exhaust on the back. We were like, okay, we got to do that, but with a Corvette. Um, and went through that whole process and ended up doing a write-up on the car for Jalopnik and got it shared on there. But that was my senior project, and I documented the full process. My buddy's uh, dad owns the graphic shop, and my buddy runs it now, my buddy Kenny. So we went up there back home to, to wrap the car ourselves and uh, like took pictures of the whole process and covered it from start to finish. And then it debuted at Martinsville that year, and uh, we ran pretty decent, but... The car looked amazing. So Harris, at this point, you're about to finish up college and your first job was not involved in NASCAR per se, but it also involved cars, specifically the love for the Mustang that you have. Tell me about your first job. Um, uh, while all this racing stuff was going on, I was going hard in my streetcar world. Um, the other side of the coin to my automotive design. And uh, I was doing a lot of renders when the 2015 Mustang came out and uh, had gotten into working with companies that I still work with now, but like UPR products in the Mustang world gave me my first big shot to do a drag racing style render of the new 2015 Mustang, like right after they released the press photos. Um, so that was kind of my first big break in the Mustang world to where people saw my logo and, and saw my work and that led into a relationship with one of the biggest, you know, Mustang parts suppliers out there, which is late model restoration supply. Mid-summer 2014, um, I went to my second Mustang week, which is the large, mu largest Mustang show on the East Coast. 
you know, doing some graphic work for late model restoration. And they really wanted me to be at Mustang Week to take photos. They didn't, you know, always fly a photographer out, so they wanted to have me on hand to take car photos. Went the next day and walked around the show, took pictures of everything, and, and headed back home. You know, edited the pictures on the way home, sent it to them. They had everything to post right there. You know, thought that was it. Like, oh, that was cool. You know, got to meet everybody, got to go to Mustang Week a little bit and, and hang out. Went back home and started working on my car again. Got to the point where I realized I was not going to be able to finish the car by myself, you know, just me and my dad. And just got home and, like, decided that, all right, when I get out of the shower, I'm going to have to call this shop and send the car to the shop and just basically blow the rest of my money to get it back running. And uh was, like, on my way to grab some clothes. And the phone looked down, and there's a phone call from Waco, Texas. And I was like, who is this? <laughs> Answered the phone call. Like, hey, Harris Lou, you know, how's it going? And, like, this is Justin Martin from Late Model Restoration. We'd like to offer you a job. You know, the August before I actually walked across the graduation stage, I had a job in the field, one of the fields that I wanted to be in, in a company that I, you know, loved and, and bought parts from for, you know, six, seven years at this point. And uh, it was unreal. I spent my whole last semester just knowing that as soon as I walked across that stage, I had somewhere to go. I had somewhere to be. Um, and I had a, a start to my career. Had an awesome year working for late model restoration, and I even got to help redesign the logo um, that hadn't been touched in I think it was you know six or seven years since I got there. I got to be a part of the big rebranding um, of late model restoration, and um, and then I got to design the catalogs um, and being able to design that catalog that I had been thumbing through as a kid for. You know, 10 years at this point, at least, was just unreal, um, seeing what it took to, to do a full catalog and get all the parts in there. And it was an entirely new experience and something that is still, like, probably one of the first projects where I had to pinch myself, like, man, you're you're making this. Like, you're making the, the catalog that's going to go out to the people like you that are going to look through this thing and circle parts and order parts and just dream like, you're making it. Your hands are on it. This is you. However, being 20 hours away from home and all my friends was very taxing on me. Um, very homesick, a lot more homesick than I thought I was going to be. And uh, still, you know, had that huge passion for NASCAR. You know, NASCAR was my Sunday afternoon activity in Texas. It was the, the thing that felt like home out there, you know. Um, ended up getting some tickets to go see Jeff Gordon's last race at, at Texas that year and um, bought my first two throwback shirts to go to that race, which was a Mark Martin 1998 shirt and then a Mark Martin 1993 shirt. And those were the, the first two that started my collection, I guess. You know, Harris, I give you a lot of credit for gambling like that and heading down to an unfamiliar area because there's a lot of people, even in the media industry that I know that are my age, who are not willing to take that gamble and to move away from home. So I applaud you for that. When it came time for your NASCAR roots to begin in terms of the professional world, how did that opportunity come about for you? My old classmate from East Carolina sent me a job posting and it was like 2 a.m. in Texas. So it was 3 a.m. here. And she was job searching and sent me the, the posting for the NASCAR graphic designer position, I guess, right around October. And uh, 
She was like, this looks like you. At that point, I was kind of looking for a way back to, to North Carolina. My personal life out there wasn't very great. And, and um, you know, I was flying home a lot, so I was spending a lot of money. Um, but I spent that night redoing my resume and redoing my website and just, you know, put all my chips on the table and applied and uh, went through the interview process over the phone, um, got the interview with, with my former boss, Richard, and my current boss, Caroline, um, over Skype. And, you know, of course, I've set everything up. I had the, the uh, Days of Thunder poster over one shoulder on the couch, and then I had my, my senior review poster that I had made. You know, that's a very slick tactic to have – all NASCAR, you know, your posters and even your artwork directly behind you during a Skype video chat. That's very clever move, Harris. Like, I'm your choice here. Like, I'm the NASCAR guy. You want me as, as your employee. Um, the funniest thing was when I got the first interview call, the, the company I was working for, I think it had like 75 people at the time. When Black Friday comes around, everybody's all hands on deck. So you got your graphic designers, you got your call center folks, you got your your marketing people, they're all in the warehouse. So I, I got my first phone call for the interview as I was stacking boxes in a 53-foot box truck. And I get a phone call from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm like, all right, I got, I'll be right back. <laughs> Hang on, let me get this straight. Working at your current job, you step away for a phone call for another job. The deception. I didn't know what the call was. I just saw that it was from Charlotte. And I was like, y'all give me a second. I'll be right back. But uh, it was just, it was funny how all the timing worked out. Um, so I ended up coming home for Christmas about a month later and spent a week home with my family for Christmas. At this point, I hadn't had a face-to-face -face interview, um, but I made a three-hour trip down to Charlotte, got to meet Caroline and Richard, and at the time, Evan um, Parker, who now works for The Athletic. We had coffee down the street from the NASCAR office, and uh, I'll never forget coming around 277, and, you know, you round that corner, going north towards the Panther Stadium, and you, you see the NASCAR building. You know, I just remember that, seeing that. Like, there it is. Like, there's the goal. It's so close. Um, on the way home, I stopped at Kannapolis and, you know, took a picture at the Dale Earnhardt statue uh, and then headed back north. And it was, you know, like two weeks later, I went back at Texas and, you know, back on the nor normal grind. And, you know, those two weeks felt like forever. And I was already sitting in Dream Job B. So, you know, it, it – it was, I was in a good position either way, but um, I got the phone call and, and just that was it. Changed my life. Um, I uh, put in my two weeks notice on my one year anniversary at my old job and uh, made my way back to North Carolina. Packed everything back up in a in a rental van and, and drove the Mustang back to NC and been at NASCAR ever since. We don't have a teammate behind us, so we don't want to try and go up and start that outside line. The 19 will go underneath us, so we just stay on the bottom. Don't worry about that outside line. Harris, I want to talk about a dear friend of yours uh, that you met through NASCAR, and that is the late Sam Bass. Uh, for those of you who are unaware about Sam, uh, he was NASCAR's first official licensed artist. This man created some of the most iconic schemes of our generation, including Jeff Gordon's Rainbow Warrior design, uh, Dale Earnhardt's Wheaties uh, Chevrolet. I mean, not only counting the thousands of illustrations this man did, he cranked out some of the most memorable and generation-defining paint schemes, and a lot of them you probably didn't even realize he made. He passed away a few years ago, and Harris, you wrote an incredible article for NASCAR.com. You, you poured your heart out. 
talking about Sam Bass as the person. What effect did his passing have on you? Uh, I've got to thank Brad Norman for letting me do that and letting me get those feelings out onto paper. Um, when I found out about him passing, I I didn't quite know what to do. I didn't quite know how to how to express it um, because I found out on the grid at Daytona in the coolest place on the planet to get a piece of news like that. It was, it was hard to wrap your head around what those feelings were because I'm standing here by my buddy Tyler Reddick who's about to run the Daytona Xfinity race and, you know, my buddy Dalen Barr comes up and I've been off of social. Luckily, I was off of social at this time because I was enjoying the atmosphere in the race. And he comes up and looks at me, and he looks like he's seen a ghost. And he's like, have you heard? And I'm like, what? And he just pulls me in and, like, grabs me and is like, Sam's gone. And it was just, like, an immediate rush of just, like, emptiness. And then knowing that I just had to move forward because there was a race you know and you know that's what sam probably would have done that's what he would have wanted me to do and but you know thankfully dalen was there and i I had friends around me that i could just kind of be vulnerable in that moment and let it hit but you know at that point i had to move i had to keep going four minutes from then you had the, the officials going hey everybody off the grid it's time to start a race um but I immediately knew, like, that I wanted to do something because Sam was – he was – he's the goal, man. He's the – he's the bar. He is the bar. Like, he set the bar. He made the bar. There wasn't a bar before he did it. <laughs> like, um, he 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 was the first officially licensed NASCAR artist, the first one to make it a career. Um, and I'd always looked up to him that the program cover from the 97 Winston has been something that was pivotal to my – you know, NASCAR art journey. It's something I used to try to draw as a kid. I used to try to, like, you know, recreate the, the cover uh, in pencil and, and crayon and whatever as I got older. Um, and I just remember, you know, I'd go back and I'd thumb through that magazine and I'd look at the paint schemes inside. I'd look at the lineups. I'd, I'd read the articles. And um, it was just, you know, the something that meant so much to me because I had a piece of his work. And for the longest time, that's the only piece I had other than the die cast of the cars he designed. How did you meet Sam? You know, what was your first interaction with him like? And I guess it was 2016, my first year at NASCAR. I went to my first Charlotte race and had a friend with me, and we were going to Credentials. And uh, the old gallery was, was right across the street from Credentials. And we got hot passes, and I got, you know, my hard card. And I look over, and says gallery open. I'm like, you know, why not? I've never been. I want to go see all the stuff and and go over there, not expecting anything. Walk in the door, and to the right, he's sitting there in the flesh. And I audibly like exclaimed, you know, "Holy blank!" and just out of control, like had lost control of what I was saying at that point, and immediately was like, "Oh my God, I'm sorry." And he was like, man, that's fine. Like, come over here. Just, you know, we, and we started talking and he was sitting right in front of the Wheaties poster from my first race. Like just by chance, it's right above his head. And we start talking about that and start telling him I'm a designer. And, you know, he gave me the typical Sam Bass treatment and 
once he found out I was a designer, he's like, well, come with me. There was nobody really in there other than us at the time because uh, the race was about to start. And took me all through the back rooms, showed me everything. Like, I got to see the actual Wheaties box in the glass case and um, got to see his break room and his Van Halen refrigerator and, like, all of just his cool stuff. And uh, on the way out, he, I started telling him, you know, what kind of cars I drive. And at this point, you know, I've had my two Mustangs. And he was like, well, oh, man, well, I've had two Mustangs, too. And, like, he closes the door to the back room, and right there on the wall are the two pen and ink drawings of his first and his most recent Mustang. And we just started talking about cars from there. And um, at that point, he was like, you know, it's like, we'll get you one of these posters. Like, what what do you want? Which one do you want? And, like, we just, he, I got me a poster. He signed it, uh, gave me his business card. He's like, hey, man, text me tomorrow. Like, let's, let's get in touch. Let's just, like, let's get together, have lunch, do something. And that was the start of it. Like, started texting back and forth. And, um, when that gallery closed and he had his gallery opening this down the street from the Speedway, ended up going to that, hanging out with Jordan Anderson, like kind of just being in the moment with my hero, which, you know, they say never meet your heroes, but I'm so thankful I met him because he's just like this shining example of how to, how to, how to be, how to live, um, just happy all the time and fostering, man. I mean, the feedback he would give me on stuff was so valuable. And the the thing that blew my mind is like, you know, in the more recent times, he would ask me for feedback on his stuff. And I'm like, dude, you're asking me, like, <laughs> you're the legend here. Like, I really appreciate that you're asking me anything. Um, but he was just so kind, man. And, you know, just, uh, I'll, I'll never forget, like he was one time we were up, it was like two in the morning and, you know, with his health issues and stuff, he, he had weird hours. And as a, the designers, we all have weird hours anyway. But I was just, he, one time he was like, man, I hope I'm not bothering you. And I was like, dude, you could never bother me. Like, you could text me at like 4.30 in the morning out of the blue and it would not bother me at all. Like, I let him know that like, dude, this means more to me than any other thing I could be doing at this moment. And um, it just, it was just such an amazing person, an amazing guy. For, uh, for the housewarming gift, when Emily and I got our last rental house, she had worked behind the scenes with Sam and she had heard my story about his pen and ink drawings of his cars. She went behind my back and got Sam's number and texted Sam and got him to draw pictures of my cars. And they surprised me completely out of the blue with pen and ink pictures of both my cars and it's it was 2018 late 2018 so you know right before we lost him that that next uh winter or that next spring but um they're two of the two of the coolest things i have and two of the coolest things i'll ever have um and if you'd have told that kid in 97 that someday the dude that did that program was going to draw your cars that kid probably would have passed out <laughs> you know i can hear in your voice just how much Sam meant to you, but you've also kept in touch with his family too. You know, what's that been like? You know, the whole vast family is, is so amazing and they've, you know, started archiving his personal collections and I've gotten to go help with some of that. And uh, they did a warehouse sale of some of his original pieces, some pieces that they had, and uh, they kind of kept it private. And 
really just wanted to make sure the stuff was going to homes that, that people were going to love it and people were going to nurture it and keep it. They're original pieces, like priceless, priceless pieces of artwork. You know, the fact that Sam and Emily both came up with this and Sam drew your cars, I mean, those are one-of-one one pieces, Harris. Those are pieces that nobody will ever get their hands on. That was Sam's gift to you, and that, that really says a lot about him. What would you say is your favorite on-track design? that sam produced man uh, um i'd say uh, his most iconic is for sure the rainbow warrior car um i mean that's immediately recognizable by anybody and everybody that's probably never even seen a nascar race that jeff gordon rainbow car can probably never be topped in just the iconic stature um my favorite uh Man, I loved it when he got to mix the things that he loved together. And in those file folders, I got to see the first uh, college rule notebook paper sketch of the uh, Kiss car, where he got to mix Kiss, the iconic rock band, which he was a huge music fan and a huge uh, rock and roll fan, with a stock car. And I'm pretty sure, I think it was the number 40 uh, that Sterling Marlin ran. Um, but getting to see just that concept where he had like Gene Simmons breathing fire coming off the hood. And like, like when he got to have fun, those are the coolest things to me. The, the schemes and the, his breadth of work is, I, I find new stuff that he did every time. I look, I mean, I don't think I'll ever find the end of the iceberg at this point. Um, and just talking to his wife and, and hearing the way he did things and how similar it is to the way I do things. And um, I think that was like last year when I did the program cover tribute and I kind of, you know, drew it out on a sticky note first and then did it. And then she's telling me stories about how he would do that while driving. Like, <laughs> Like, he would be, you know, one hand on the wheel and the other hand in the passenger seat drawing on a notebook pad um, to get the layouts right. And, and it's just it's, – it's so cool how similar and how different things are, but how the products are all – you know, they've got the same goals. And, you know, he dealt with some of the same hurdles and some of the same problems that we deal with today when it comes to, you know, pleasing sponsors and it comes to – you know, making the drivers happy, making the teams happy, and you've got to have that balance. And um, there's a lot of stuff that he designed that, that's, you know, set on the cutting room floor. Um, and Sam's wife, Denise, is working extremely hard to get that stuff together. And uh, she mentioned that as being one of the next things they do is trying to compile compile all the, the could have been and uh, put out a, a alternate reality kind of book with, you know, what if, these had made it what if this had been jeff gordon's rainbow design what if um because he's got there's there's just archives of you know schemes that never made it you know version one when version seven made it you know um and i'm really looking forward to to seeing those and you know being able to look at his process from you know v1 to v4 final for real this time this is it you <laughs> know like it's it's just you know he was an artist he failed just as much as the rest of us, and, and sometimes there's beauty in those failures, and sometimes your best ideas never see the light of day, and I'm, that's the coolest part, seeing 
seeing the process, seeing the the way he did things and seeing how similar it is to the way that, you know, artists today do it and, and knowing that we're not alone in our struggles, you know, even the best had had cutting room floor mistakes or even the best had to throw away their favorites. Let's talk about the hot topic in NASCAR right now, and that's iRacing and eSports. Currently in NASCAR, there are, I believe, three sanctioned series. We have the eNASCAR Heat Pro League. We have the eNASCAR Coca-Cola iRacing Series. And the latest member of the family is the NASCAR Pro Invitational Series. And Harris, you actually told me that you had a hand in developing this series. Tell me about the process from concept to reality. Uh, I did. Um, it was an all hands on effort last week. Um, they came down from, from Scott Warfield, Tim Clark and, and Brandon Williams. Um, and it's an idea kind of sparked between them and the drivers. And, and, uh, on Monday we, we kind of got hit up and me and my, my boss Caroline and we're like, Hey, we need a, we need a logo. We need a look. We need a, a, a branding package for this new series that, that we're pitching and, um, that might be on Fox, that, that might be, you know, our new thing going forward. And, um, do you have any ideas? And, uh, got on a phone call with my boss and started throwing some ideas around as, as you know, like a, the creative project typically, go, typically goes, you got to do a little brainstorm at first. And, you know, I threw out a couple of my ideas and, and she threw out, uh, if, I don't know if you've seen, you know, our series logo package, but if you look at like the pinty series and, and things like that for our uh, Canada product. There's a, a rectangle in the middle of the rounded rectangle, and she had the idea to make that rectangle warped to look like the three screens that someone would use for an iRacing rig. And we're sitting there talking. Neither one of us had put pen to paper yet. And she said that, and I thought in my head, I was, well, I'm about to waste my time making some concepts because she's about to blow that out of the water, and they're not going to pick mine because that's awesome. And that's what happened, man. We we put three concepts in front of them, and hers was just ab- above and beyond what mine looked like. And um, our brand team got involved, and and they took her idea and made it fit into our our logo system. Um, and from that point on, you know, I did the tune-ins and uh, worked with Caroline to to make uh, the the entry list. Um, got to make a teaser graphic or two for like Dale Jr. and Kyle Larson. Uh, and then my coworker, Alex Brown, he made all of the, uh, post-race graphics. So like the winter graphic and everything like that, we had, you know, before last week, then none of that existed. Um, it was all, you know, in a matter of four or five days where we went from the series, not even having a name, not even having a logo to Sunday. It showed up on Fox Sports one with Jeff Gordon and Mike Joy calling it and. Dale Jr. almost beating, you know, almost winning and Denny Hamlin taking it all home. And, um, so it's just, that's, that's, that's NASCAR, man. It's fast. Last season, uh, you told me before we started this interview that you actually had the chance to design uh, some of the helmets the drivers got as well as the championship trophy for the eNASCAR Heat Pro League. So for the, the inaugural season of the Heat Pro League, um, we started off last spring and uh, the trophies for the helmet or the the helmets for the inaugural race were the trophies for Xbox and PlayStation um, and got to de- design those and, and come up with a little inaugural race mark and um, actually got to wrap them myself. So that experience I got from helping my buddy wrap his race car played over into my actual work because 
you know, two blank helmets showed up at my desk along with a box of decals and, you know, sat there and decaled the helmets and got them all ready to go. Um, and then, you know, that season played out. It was an amazing season. Um, and coming down to the wire, uh, Jocelyn was making the trophy. And uh, they already had the trophy shape made up. And it's a beautiful trophy. Um, but they needed a background for it. And Brandon Williams came to me again and got me to design a little background with, you know, a Toyota, a Chevy, a Ford, and kind of this, you know, digital look around it. Um, I even hit in a little Easter egg with the Konami code as the texture for the base. So I was up, up, down, down, left, right, BA start, I think is the Konami code for the old uh, Nintendo. Um, but hid that in the, as the, the, I guess the virtual track that the cars were racing on. Uh, but it's just, it's been really fun, man. Like the, the Coca-Cola series, um, got to do the Dylan Esports Coca-Cola base paint team, um, for the, the inaugural race, um, after Coke came on board. Um, and then when the, uh, race got canceled, I guess two weeks ago, they were supposed to run the vanilla Coke scheme on Suarez's car, on Daniel Suarez's, you know, Cup Series car. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Brandon Williams came to me again and I got to take Daniel Suarez's Cup Series wrap and made it to an iRacing car and put it on the template and stuff. So didn't get to actually do any creation on that one, but got to help transfer the real life thing into the digital world. Now it's time for the final segment, appropriately named the final lap. Harris, I'm going to toss you some questions, both racing and completely unrelated to racing. And I just want you to give me your honest answer. So first question, you can drive any car on any track in the world. What's your combination and why? Uh, give me a, uh, a 1992 Ford Thunderbird at, uh, in Monaco. Davey, Allen, Bill, you know, that, that 1992 race, the finale, that's just iconic. That's one of the most, you know, iconic and pivotal NASCAR moments ever. So that Thunderbird is just etched in my mind. And Monaco is probably the most beautiful location for a track. And it's a street course. So, like, that's just amazing. You get to choose your number and sponsor as a race car driver. What are they? Man, car number definitely number 50. Um, sponsor, probably knock around sunglasses. Um, bought my first pair in 2010, and that's pretty much all I put on my face when I go outside, unless it's a pair of old school gargoyles. 50. Why, why number 50? Number 50, uh, it was my football number. Um, the Mustang has a 5.0 in it. Um, dead in the middle of, you know, zero and a hundred. So nice and, you know, centered. I don't know. It's just always been my number. Favorite thing to do on your day off? Man. Uh, drive. Um, get in my car, go drive. Um, it's something I'm going to miss when they lock us all down. But, uh, yeah, it, I, I love driving, man. I love my, my convertible, putting the top down. Um, can't wait to drive my, my hatchback again when I get the engine in it. Favorite show to binge watch? Man, lately I've been hooked on Picard, man. It, you can't really binge watch it because they're putting one out every week. Um, but I'd say if I had to... I had to just sit down and binge something right now. Um, it would probably be Top Gear, man. You can't go wrong with with Top Gear. Um, even Top Gear America was hilarious with Rutledge Wood. Um, I love when you mix some cars with comedy stuff. So Top Gear. Favorite guilty pleasure song in the in the air tonight. Phil Collins, bruh. And put that on. You're in the car, crank the bass, let that that bass solo hit. 
the drum solo. Hopefully you're not in a turn because you cannot have your hands on the wheel during that, that drum solo. <laughs> uh, that's it, man. In the air tonight. Harris, who is your childhood crush? I don't know, dude. Uh, Nicole Kidman from Days of Thunder with the red curly hair and the pantsuit. That's it. Beer or whiskey? Well, I've been sober for coming up uh, 11 months, um, but I am drinking a lot of Bush N.A. lately, so I got to go with beer. Live in the city or live in the country? Uh, country. Um, we just moved up here in Denver, North Carolina, a little bit uh, west of Lake Norman, on right near, uh, a little bit west of Mooresville on Lake Norman. So it's perfect mix. You know, we got a nice little neighborhood, but it's pretty country. I, I grew up in the country, so um, I kind of like my peace and quiet. Plus, you know, you can do more car things out here without annoying neighbors. You can meet one NASCAR driver, past or present. Who is it? Dale Earnhardt. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's easy. Um, the stories I heard Sam tell about, you know, how cool he was and, and just, that's definitely hands down. What would you say is your proudest accomplishment of your career thus far? Man, getting to uh, help direct and put together William Byron's throwback paint scheme reveal last year. That was the coolest thing. Getting to rewrite the script, getting to work with Matt Little and Brooke Rosenberg to go out to Hendrick Motorsports to set up the shoot with the number 46 City Chevrolet Lumina. And, like, I got to help with the wardrobe. I got to, you know, make William Byron look like Tom Cruise. I got to help set up the angles and the cameras, and I got to shoot and film and work with Chad Knauss. And that was just that whole time, it still blows my mind that that was something that I actually did. What about your advice to aspiring designers? Don't stop working. Um, it, 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 at times, overworking yourself is never a good thing, but, but don't stop working on what you love. Um, you know, always take a break from the projects that, that wear you out, but find what you love um, and do it and find any way you can to do it. Find the people that are doing it. Become friends with the people that are doing it. Put your, put your name out there. Um, and because the more you do, the more you put out there, the more people you tag, the more eyes are going to get on you. Um, the more people are going to recognize that you do good work and you do these things. Because um, nobody can use you if they don't know what you can do. Um, so, so put yourself out there, sell yourself, um, and have fun. Find what, you, find what, what makes you happy and do it. Harris Lowe, an absolute pleasure to have you on as my first guest of the Under the Hood podcast. I really hope you enjoy telling your story. This was really, it was really fun to get to know you better, and I really hope our listeners felt the same way. Absolutely, man. It's been amazing. Thank you for having me on. It's been an honor. Um, I'm the first guest of many, I hope. Hey, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Under the Hood podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to subscribe and follow the podcast on your favorite platform. Thank <laughs> you.